Good morning. My name is Natalie once again from the marketing team at Dickerson Insurance Services. We are so happy you could join us for today's webinar titled An Update on Association Health Plans. This course is approved by the California Department of Insurance for one hour of CE credit. We have been instructed to conduct polling questions throughout the presentation. It is advised that you participate using a computer instead of a cell phone. And the reason why is because when you use a cell phone, the system does not record your answers. And of course, in order to receive CE credit, you must answer all, in this case, three polling questions. Your, your responses are recorded. If by any situation or issue that you come across any technological issue in this um, or submitting your answers because it has happened before, definitely go ahead and contact me if you have any questions. It's always best to email me, natalie, N-A-T-A-L-I-C, at dickerson-group.com. And of course, if you want to prefer, go ahead and talk to me. I always love talking to people. We report CE credits to the California Department of Insurance within two working days of the presentation. Your CE credit should show up on your CDI online account within 30 days. Our CE presentations are recorded and copies of both the recording and the slide deck are available for your download. Last but not least, we welcome your questions. Please type them in the questions in, in the questions in the window in the bottom right hand corner of the presentation. All questions will be answered at the conclusion of this presentation. Now, for today's presenter, and of course the main event, is Mr. David Elfier. David is a 43-year veteran of the employee benefits industry and has expertise in alternative funding, group purchasing, flexible benefits, and benefit compliance. Dave is an approved instructor for this and several other CE courses by the California Department of Insurance. He is also the past president of both the California and National Associations of Health Underwriters, CAHU and NAHU, and a former advisor to the UC Davis School of Healthcare Management. In 2015, Dave was awarded the NAHU Harold R. Gordon Memorial Award as Health Insurance Person of the Year. Dave resides in Roseville, California, which is a suburb of Sacramento and is a managing partner for the Alternative Funding Division of Dickerson Insurance Services. And of course, like I said earlier, if you have any techn technical issues, please contact me. But if you have any questions about any of the material presented, I am not the expert. The expert is actually Mr. David Fierce Sr. And of course, that's how you contact him. That all being said, Dave, how are you for our last webinar of the year? Yeah, last one. <laughs> and then we get to take a holiday break, I guess. <laughs> Thanks for the intro, uh, Natalie. It's good to be here again. And uh, I don't know about uh, the rest of you throughout California, but up here in Sacramento, we're getting a nice, nice rainstorm today, and we certainly need the water. So uh, uh, that's a that's a good sign. So uh, we'll move ahead with things. Um, um, we're going to talk a little bit today about association health plans. And uh, first, I want to start off with a little bit of history because. A lot of uh, a lot of agents uh, brokers uh, come to me and and uh, they they naturally think that hey I've got an association client over here a prospect and and I'd like uh, I you know what can you do for me or what can you do to help me and um, we end up 
many times telling the same story over and over again about what associations can and can't do. And so the purpose of this course today is to kind of update you on, on what's going on in the association health plan market, and at the same time, uh, make you aware of, of some recent changes uh, to the law as it applies to association health plans. So maybe the best way to, to start out is, is provide you with a little bit of history. Um, for for um, well over 60 years, uh, associations have formed their own health plans in order to provide their members with lower cost coverage. Um, many of the first association health plans were fully insured plans, and that was generally done as a partnership between an insurance company and, and an association. Uh, they got, you know, kind of got together and said, hey, let's do something special for our members. Um, by 1974, however, um, ERISA was enacted into law, the Employee Retirement Income Security Act, and that prompted some associations to set up what was called a, a self-funded uh, self-funded health health plan arrangement using their existing carrier partners to provide administrative services and and maybe contract with a stop loss insurance coverage these uh, entities are referred to as multiple employer welfare arrangements or miwas um, by 1982 there was a lot of uh, confusion about who was regulating these miwas and so in 1982 the uh, united states secretary of labor Elizabeth Dole turned over control of the regulation of MIWAs to the states while still retaining control via ERISA on single employer welfare arrangements. So if you were a self-funded employer and, and had your own plan, that was still regulated under federal law. But if you were part of a multiple employer welfare arrangement or MIWA, uh, that was turned over to the states to regulate these entities. Uh, at that point in time, most states did not actively regulate MIWAs. They instead allowed them to be set up with little or no state oversight. While uh, these MIWA operators claimed that they were exempt from state regulation under ERISA. So there was, there was a lot of confusion uh, between uh, among the various states about who could really regulate these things, even though the, the feds had handed the ball off to the states. Uh, a number of legitimate trade and business organizations did set up association health plans for the benefits of their members with some varying degrees of success. Uh, in 1990-91, uh, California, former California Insurance Commissioner John Garamendi began to enforce insurance regulation requirements on MIWAs. And, and his position was, and it hasn't changed, is that uh, a MIWA would be treated as if they were operating as an insurance company who, who wanted to uh, operate in the state of California. So they had to produce sufficient capital, reserves, uh, legal organization, et cetera. So AMI was treated just like an insurance company. And obviously since the Department of Insurance regulates insurance companies, they took the position that they would regulate MIWAs as well. Um, at that time, there were a number of fraudulent MIWA schemes uh, that were shut down by the Department of Insurance, and I won't go into the names and, and people involved with that. But there was a there was a lot of um, really bad players at that time in the market, and most of them uh, were shut down, uh, to my knowledge. Um, a number of carriers also announced that they were going to pull out of the association health plan market. They didn't want to be involved with associations anymore, and uh, didn't want their name associated with them. So so they took off. 
1992, uh, California passed Assembly Bill 1672, AB 1672, which was at the time landmark legislation. It provided guaranteed issue group health coverage for small employers that had two to 50 employees. Subsequently, uh, right after that, California also passed AB 28, which allowed for the creation of, quote, guaranteed association, unquote, plans. A guaranteed association would be allowed to offer small group uh, guaranteed issue coverage to all members of that association, and that included members who were individuals, one, if you would, one person groups, or, you know, just, again, just individuals. To register as a guaranteed association, there were two key requirements imposed by the law. First, the association um, ha must have been in existence five years prior to January 1st, 1992. So you do the math and, and uh, they had to have been in existence uh, uh, by uh, January 1st, 1987. That was just a, an arbitrary date that the, the, the people agreed upon to, to say that we've got a legitimate association here who's been in existence for some time. And that association must have been offering a member health plan at least five years prior to January 1st, 1992. So what that effectively said was that uh, if, if you're a legitimate uh, association, you've been in business um, on or before um, January 1st, 1987, uh, you could, um, and, you, and you had been offering a health plan to your members uh, prior to that time, uh, you could qualify to be a guaranteed association. And um, today, there are still a handful of guaranteed associations in operation, but no new ones have been approved recently, and it's unlikely that any will be approved uh, since uh, that's been almost you know, 30 years ago when, when that law went into effect. Guaranteed associations have contracted with a number of carriers, uh, you know, these are these are carriers that everybody knows of: uh, Anthem Blue Cross, Blue Shield, Kaiser Permanente, United Healthcare, and these guaranteed associations contracted for fully insured coverage. So these these were not self-funded MIWAs. Uh, these were fully insured. Uh, these were associations that contracted for fully insured coverage through reputable carriers. There were a few trade associations, such as the Western Growers. Uh, the California Bankers Association, who were grandfathered to continue to offer self-funded plans, but must meet state insurance regulations pertaining to capital and reserve requirements. And uh, again, um, there weren't very many of these grandfathered trade associations uh, kept up, but uh, the ones that continued to exist um, have done, I think, a, a really good job of, of providing what needed to be done. Outside of California, association health plans do continue to exist and grow as other state legislators have uh, encouraged their formation and protection so as to help individuals and small businesses access affordable coverage. So that brings us to a discussion about the Affordable Care Act, which is most of you know was, was passed in 2010. And the, the, the passage of the ACA barely address the issue of association health plans. And it's important to note what the ACA does not do for associations. Contrary to what some uh, entrepreneurs out there were claiming, uh, the ACA does not grant an exemption to associations 
from state insurance regulation. It's, it's not found in the ACA and you're not gonna find it. Um, it does not force insurance companies or health plans to participate in an association health plan. Uh, the ACA did a lot of things, but it did not uh, grant this exemption to uh, associations and it doesn't enforce insurance companies to have to participate in an association plan. As you all know, in 2011, California established Covered California, the, the Covered California Marketplace, uh, per uh, state and, of course, federal law. And at that time, legislatures uh, here in California didn't feel the need to change any state laws pertaining to association health plans since they believed that the state's purchasing power through the exchange would benefit all individuals and small businesses without having to join an association. So they basically said, look, the, the associations that are in, in existence now can continue on uh, under the rules that we've established, but going forward, we're, we're just, we're not gonna approve new association programs <clears throat> and we wanna encourage people to effectively, um, uh, you know, use the exchange, Covered California instead. <coughs> Pardon me. There were some uh, national small business associations who helped sponsor and, and implement the establishment of, of what we call the uh, QSEHRA, the Qualified Small Employer Health Reimbursement Arrangements, but these were not specific to any one association. And that's, of course, a, a, a different topic. But, but a, a number of, of these national firms like the um, uh, NFIB and, and, and others they were instrumental in getting the QSEHRA legislation included in um, uh, legislation uh, approved in 2016. In 2019, after a fairly lengthy review process, the Trump administration issued new regulations regarding association health plans with two key points. First, it would allow industries to band together to purchase health insurance coverage for their members in a way similar to how large employers purchase us coverage today. But second, and this is most important, the regulations issued by the Trump administration would not overturn existing state rules regarding association health plans. And in fact, they continued to rely on the states to regulate these arrangements. So what you have is, you, you know, you got the Trump administration saying, we think it's a good idea, we think associations should be allowed to, um, you know, get, get their members and negotiate in behalf of their members, but they still, at the end of the day, still have to follow the state rules. So, um, in states like California, the 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 association health plan uh, rules really didn't have any effect since the state of California had already determined that we're just not going to allow these things to um, to to pop up and and be created. So with that in mind, let's go to our first polling question, um, polling question one of three. And that question is, California passed Assembly Bill 28 to allow for the establishment of guaranteed association health plans. Is that true or false? And uh, Natalie, I'll turn it over to you. Sounds good. We're gonna give everyone one minute to go ahead and cast their vote. And just a reminder, remember, you have to answer all three polling questions, and this is just the first of the three. Meanwhile, I'll take a quick uh, break here and a little, uh, little swig of water. 
I've discontinued the use of my Jeopardy uh, theme music during this break, so I can I can I can hum along, but I don't think that would be much appreciated either. So <laughs> it's okay. Your hydration is probably better than the Jeopardy music. <laughs> yeah, you're right. <laughs> and we are almost about to close the post, so please go ahead and cast your answers. Okay, I'm gonna go ahead and close the poll in 10 seconds. I just trying to give everybody a chance to get their responses in. Okay, I'm closing the poll. And it looks like 74% voted true. Okay, very good. Everybody's uh, awake and, and, and humming along here. All right, let's continue then. Thank you. All right. So um, with regard to, to, to clarify everything, to, with regard to association health plans in California today, let me kind of summarize what we have here. And then I got some documents I'm gonna share with you. Um, Senate Bill 1375 was, was enacted in 2018. And that required that the status of each distinct member shall uh, determine whether that member's association coverage is individual, small group, or large group coverage. So again, you know, we have three markets with regard to health insurance in California. You have the individual market, you have the small group market, which we define as two to 100 uh, employees, and then you have the large group market, which is 101 employees or more. So um, uh, the Senate bill basically said that your status uh, in, in, the, in the market will determine um, whether or not that association coverage can uh, uh, be available to you. Now, this was passed, this bill was passed in anticipation of the Trump administration issuing these new rules for association health plans the following year. As you can imagine, the, the California and the Trump administration didn't agree on very many things. And that was one of the things that, that they got out in front of was saying, we're, we're not going to, uh, we're not going to allow that to happen. If, if, uh, if a small employer is in the if a small employer is, is supposed to buy uh, small employer uh, health coverage, uh, they cannot they cannot go into the large employer market through an association and buy that coverage. So um, it was very uh, it was very important to do that. Following passage of SB 17 uh, 1375, California's two health plan or health plan regulatory uh, agencies, the Department of Insurance and the Department of Managed Healthcare, issued regulations regarding association health plans and MIWAs in particular. And while neither agency regulates employers or self-insured programs directly, they do regulate the carriers who provide products to consumers, employers, and other purchasers of health insurance. Um, specifically, the California Department of Managed Healthcare, DMHC, has issued two letters on the matter of association health plans. And I've got copies of these embedded into this presentation. On December 9th, they issued uh, what they called an all plan letter number 19-024 uh, on association health plans. And following that on May 5th, 2020, they offered, uh, they issued a second letter, all plan letter 20-019 on association health plans extension of the phase out period. These two letters clarified 
that large group coverage may not be sold to individuals or small employers via an association health plan or similar entity, which is exactly what the Trump administration wanted to allow them to do. Uh, you know, a bunch of individuals or small employers could band together in their association, then the association could go out and negotiate large group coverage for their members. And California basically said, nope, we're not going to allow that. It also re reiterated that existing California law provides for guaranteed association, but it prohibits the formation of new guaranteed associations and considers a guaranteed association to be effectively a small employer who are not eligible to purchase large group coverage for their members. So they, they brought back into play this issue of guaranteed associations and, and said, look, if you're a guaranteed association, you are considered to be a small employer because that's what guaranteed associations were allowed to do through AB 28 was to negotiate with a carrier to offer small employer uh, benefits to their members who could also be individuals. And so as a result of that, they, they said that that rule hasn't changed. But conversely, if you're a guaranteed association, you're considered a small employer and you cannot go out and, and purchase large employer health coverage for your members. That's just not going to be permitted. They also indicated there's a phase out period for large group coverage that was currently in place for small employers and individuals. And uh, at, this was as of December 9th, 2019. And a result of that was that by July 1st, 2021, no small employers should be purchasing large group market insurance. So, um, you know, it, it, they made it, I think, as black and white as you could have it in, in terms of the law, in terms of what could be or, or not be done. Now, the following few slides is an actual reproduction of, of both of those letters. The first, the December 9th letter issued by the Department of Managed Healthcare and um, their initial uh, thoughts about, um, you know, association health plans and what's going on. I've highlighted in yellow here, you know, first, the, the very first thing they said out of the gate was in California, large group coverage may not be sold to individuals or small employers via an association health plan. And then they, of course, uh, you know, bring up all of the, the legal justification for that insurance code and, and, and what have you. Um, page two of that letter, again, went on to, to state for all other associations, those that do not meet the definition of a guaranteed association, California law looks through the association to determine the appropriate market segment for that particular purchaser. And Senate Bill 1375 uh, codified this look through by expressly stating, quote, the status of each distinct member of an association shall determine whether that member's association coverage is individual small group or large group health coverage. So they said, uh, you know, you can't, can't be a small employer and uh, go to an association health plan that is for large employers and, and buy that coverage through them. They will not permit it. Um, they then, of course, dealt with the issue of, of the pending federal rules, which are, are, are not pending anymore. They were, they were enacted. Uh, but then you'll notice that uh, they said 11 states, including California, and the District of Columbia sued the Department of Labor and the court struck down much of the AHP rule. The Department of Labor appealed and that case was pending. Well, that, it has finally been settled. And, and again, that's when they came back and said, we're leaving it up to the states to uh, 
regulate this. So that's that's what they wanted, and that's what they they got. Um, uh, so this is, I, I think this was the most important piece or updated piece about what's going on on association health plans here in the state of California. Um, and then they talked about the uh, the phase out period for those that at that time had coverage, uh, a large group coverage, and um, they they would have until uh, Ju um, July 1st of uh, 2021 to be able to um, uh, move that over into the correct market. Uh, the second all plan letter uh, then indicated that they extended this phase out period. It was, I'm sorry, it was originally uh, uh, June 30th, 2020, and then they ended up extending that out another year um, so that uh, existing associations could make the changes that they needed to make to to uh, comply with the law. So again, in, in their world of, of um, uh, regulation and, and, and law, they tried to make it as black and white as, as possible about what you could and, and could not do. So that brings me to kind of a just quickly summarize where we're at in California today. And, and, and that is, again, existing guaranteed associations will are allowed to continue to operate so long as they continue to offer small employer rates and benefits to their members. They cannot offer uh, large employer rates and benefits. Now you might say, well, what what good is it to do them when when um, they're going to the you know individuals and they're saying you can get guaranteed issue coverage when now we have guaranteed issue coverage in the uh, individual market anyway? And remember, all this was put into law back in the 1990s before we had guaranteed issue in the individual market. So there are some people out there who feel like, um, you know, is, is there really a, a need to have these guaranteed association plans? And I would say that um, there, there is a need for that because some guaranteed associations have negotiated uh, special benefits um, and, and these benefits would be considered, you know, grandfathered plans uh, from prior to the ACA that are still uh, popular for use with a number of people. So uh, that's important. Uh, they re and, and then again, to reiterate, no new guaranteed associations will be permitted to be established. Obviously it's been 30 years since that rule and, and um, they, either, they either got with it and became a guaranteed association when they were eligible uh, or they, they didn't. Uh, these regulations uh, apply to organizations operating in California and in, in my opinion, it appears to include PEOs, professional employee uh, organizations. The organization cannot provide fully insured large employer plans and rates to small employer members and carriers are expected to self-police this ruling. Um, I, I, I know of no um, PEO that has you know, decided to take this up with the Department of Insurance or Department of Managed Care and file a complaint about it, but I will tell you that the carriers that are working with PEOs are saying, you know, we, we, we've got this law in California and we have to uh, abide by it, so here's, here's what we're going to do. Um, the continued requirement that, uh, that a self-insured NEWA must conform with California insurance law, the same as an insurance company, which, you know, meets the minimum capital reserve requirement, that remains in effect. That has not changed. And and I don't think will ever change here in, in California. So the question that I get is, well, can a California-based association offer health insurance benefits to their members? 
And the short answer is yes, but you must follow state rules currently in place. For health benefits, the association must follow the rules we've described earlier. For fully insured benefits, uh, they'll be regulated by the state in which the association is domiciled or where the member resides. And for self-funded benefits, uh, they will still be subject to state insurance regulation. So if that association has, has the money and the wherewithal to set up a self-funded uh, plan that meets uh, the same requirements that a uh, insurance company would meet to operate here in California, they can, they'll, they'll be permitted to operate. Um, associations really have a couple of choices here. They can, they can attempt to sponsor a self-insured health plan or a MIWA that may be regulated by state insurance laws regarding capital, reserve, and financial requirements, or they can endorse a fully insured plan, and that also will be regulated by state insurance laws. In the California large group market, which is 101 or more, uh, the association may be able to negotiate rates, benefits, and underwriting features for their members, as long as members are themselves large employers. And and I, I just want to point something out here because it, it, if any of you do business in the, the small and the large group market, as you know, there are some, some real differences in those markets. Uh, we, we might have, we have guaranteed issue coverage in the small group market. And in theory, you have guaranteed issue uh, coverage in the large group market. However, you don't have a guaranteed rate in the large group market. And this can be seen with, with some large employers when they get a, a renewal or when they go and they apply for coverage, they get rates uh, issued to them by the carrier based on their experience or their, their demographics. And, um, but they don't, they don't necessarily have a guaranteed renewal. Uh, if, if, um, if an insurance company decides that this large employer is losing money, they're not meeting uh, the requirements to operate or participation or whatever, uh, they can and they do um, um, uh, non-renew them. So one area that I think associations might have a, a benefit is to pool their large employers together and put together a fully insured plan through one or more carriers and uh, say that our, our carriers have a guaranteed renewal uh, of our members and, and we pool the rates of our members, but the members have to be themselves large employers. Uh, they can't be small employers. And, and again, in the small group market, the association must follow the state rules that regulate small group health sales if their members are in fact small employers. So I, you know, I've, I've said this about three different ways and I'm not sure uh, how else I can put it than that, but um, you know, if you've got some specific questions, um, I'm, I'm happy to answer them later. Um, the other question is, well, can a California-based association offer non-health insurance benefits to its members? And, and the answer is absolutely they can. For non-health or what I would call ancillary benefits, the association is pretty much free to do whatever they want. And a number of associations have gone out and, and uh, negotiated uh, dental, vision, life, disability uh, coverage uh, with insurance companies that can customize an association benefit uh, offering based on the size and the sales potential of the association. Uh, they'll look at the member demographics and determine which product to write on the members. Um, they can also uh, offer non-health benefits uh, such as supplemental medical or an accident coverage, workers' comp, uh, liability, property casualty, and personal lines, you know, auto home, et cetera. So, 
associations offering non-health insurance benefits to members um, are, are are flourishing, and I think there's some uh, there, there's some definite reasons why it makes sense for an association to to offer those other types of uh, non-health type benefits. Um, one example I'll give you is is an association that I'm I'm aware of um, said that a number of their members have purchased um, uh, high deductible health plans for their for their employees. And so the association went out and, and offered kind of a, a group HRA or an HSA type uh, program or a supplemental medical program that individuals or uh, employers can purchase for, for their members to supplement that high deductible plan. So those are, those are good things. The association can also offer non-insured benefits such as uh, group legal, uh, telemedicine, uh, wellness and safety plans, uh, investment plans, retirement, education, training, et cetera. These are a lot of things that associations uh, can and should do for their members and, and I think can be very popular. Uh, that association can go out and obtain an insurance license and sell insurance benefits to their members or establish a, a partnership with an outside insurance agency to market and sell insurance to their members. Uh, as a result of that, uh, having a license or a partnership they can earn commission to offset association membership expenses, which may cost in, in uh, lower cost of membership dues. And I've seen that happen quite a bit over uh, the years. But um, that association needs to follow certain IRS rules on incidental income uh, and pay taxes on that in incidental income uh, that are paid uh, by the association for the sale of products and services to members. So, so there are some IRS rules that. Um, they have to follow in that regard. So let's go to uh, polling question number number two. Which, um, which California agency or agencies regulate association health plans? It is at A, the Department of Insurance, B, the Department of Managed Healthcare, C, is it both agencies or D, neither agency? So that's a multiple choice question there, Natalie. Looks like the poll's open. Yes. <laughs> okay. Okay. We're gonna give everybody a minute to oh, vote. Okay. Again, which California agency or agencies regulate association health plans? Is it the Department of Insurance, the Department of Managed Healthcare, both of these agencies or neither of these agencies? And this is kind of a trick question. So we'll see how. We'll see how well people have done. Meanwhile, I'll take another swig of my my hot chocolate here. Oh, that's even better. Mm-hmm. Well, it's a hot chocolate type day out up here in Sacramento. It's uh, as I said, it's raining and it feels like winter. I know we're supposed to get rain out in LA tomorrow, but you kind of make me regret not getting the salted caramel hot chocolate that they have at Trader Joe's right now. <laughs> I haven't I haven't used that one. <laughs> it sounds so good right now. I think I might have to go back and get that. Yeah, yeah I hear you there. <laughs> okay, how are we doing? Um, we're gonna close the poll in about 10 seconds to be exact. Okay. 
and I'm going to go ahead and close the poll. Remember, I just want everyone to know before we close this, um, we have to answer all three of the polling questions. And this is only number two of three. We have one more after this. Okay, I'm going to go ahead and close the poll. And how did we do? 59% said both agencies. Correct. Very good. Very good. The trick in this was, uh, do they regulate the association health plan or do they regulate the association? And and the word, the keyword here are the plan. The California agencies uh, regulate the insurance carriers or the insurance health plans. They don't regulate the associations though. But because, um, you know, and if an, I'm an association and I contract with ABC Insurance Company, ABC Insurance Company has to make sure that they're abiding by the rules from the Department of Insurance or Department of Managed Healthcare in order to participate. So it's uh, it can be a little tricky. All right, let's go on. So um, I want to spend a little bit of time because uh, I get a lot of calls from agents about working with associations. As I said earlier, um, I, I probably get maybe uh, you know one or two calls a month from an agent uh, somewhere in, in, in California or, or an adjacent state asking me about an association prospect. So I want to talk a little bit about this from, from the agent's perspective. Um, first off, let me say from the beginning that there's a lot of work to put together an association uh, benefit program, to put that into place. There is a lot of work. And, and in the 40 some odd years I've been in this business, I've I've worked with several associations and, uh, you know, some of them have been, you know, great clients to have and, and work with. Others have been just an absolute disaster. Um, and so you got to you got to kind of know what you're getting into. So I always tell associate uh, advisors, I say, first off, you need to start off with an association questionnaire. And I'll I'll show you an example of that in a minute. And and the, the purpose of this questionnaire is to determine first the nature, the scope, the purpose of the organization. And uh, it's it's important that we understand is this a is this a legitimate entity? Is this an entity that that really is is has been put together for some purpose other than buying insurance? And that's important to know because the carriers want to know that as well. You've got to obtain a, a full member census of, of who the association members are, and you're probably going to have to develop some sort of a member survey, if one hasn't been developed already, to go out and reach out to the members and find their interest, uh, in, you know, determine what their interest is. And once that member interest has been determined, um, then you, you, you're going to have to sit down and develop benefit and plan designs that meet the needs of their members. Um, you're going to have to then obtain a, a new census of uh, from uh, interested members who are, you know, have an interest in in participating in this. And and you know, if if you've got an association with a thousand members and and only um, you know a hundred of those thousand are interested in this, then you you really need a census from the hundred, not a census from from the thousand. Uh, because you know that represents who's actually going to enroll in this, and so there can be quite a difference. Um, you're going to have to develop an RFP, a request for proposals for different carriers, uh, third-party administrators, and other service providers. And that RFP uh, needs to go out uh, with with plenty of lead time for them to look at this. 
um, then you're going to have to distribute and evaluate the proposal responses you get back from the carriers. So you're going to have to calculate the cost of, of implementation and what's the return on investment of that. Uh, are, is the association uh, going to make enough money on this deal to, to fund the cost of implementation? Or at the same time, as I, as the broker, am I going to make enough money on this deal to pay for my time and effort to, um, to sell it? And that's, uh, that's, a, that's a big deal. That's why a lot of uh, the big agencies in this country, uh, they, don't, they don't work on association health plans because they just don't see the return on investment anymore. Um, you're going to have to negotiate compensation both to the association and, and the other service providers. Then you're going to have to turn around and present options to the association leadership for their adoption. And then you, you begin the, the process of negotiation on final rates, benefits, and services. And then you've got to develop a sales and marketing and an administrative plan for the association's insurance program. Um, I will tell you that I advise a lot of uh, agents and brokers that they should consider charging a fee to do the above work and have a separate, uh, have a separate, uh, separate the role of advising from selling. Um, and, and, and a lot of agents are saying, well, you know, if I'm not the one that's selling it, um, you know, why would I be advising it? And, and that's because, you know, are you going to sell enough to, to make advising, you know, even profitable? Um, so, so that's a that's an important issue. Here is the questionnaire that we developed over the years uh, to ask or or have an association or affinity group uh, complete and and answer before we consider uh, working on them. Uh, you know the legal name, the headquarters, uh, the you know information about where they are, what geographic area the, it, it serves, what industry, what types of memberships are available. Is there a dues structure? Uh, when they just see a copy of their association bylaws or articles incorporation, is this a nonprofit or a for-profit organization? Um, when was the association organized? You know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. In other words, what's the nature and scope of the of the organization? And to be candid with you, when I get a call from an associate, uh, an agent or a broker who has an association prospect, I say, well, you know, um, here, take this uh, questionnaire and see if you can fill it out with them and and if you give it back to me then we'll know that we've got something here to work on uh many times they they look at this and they just say this is this is a lot of information that the association can't provide me or i don't want to get and and maybe we just you know avoid the the problem from the very beginning by saying you know if you can't at least do that then this isn't a very good prospect but i think that's important that you you know that there's a lot of work and effort that goes into this. And uh, again, there are lots of different types of associations and chambers of commerce and business groups out there. And, and, and you know, they all would like a way to be able to save money for their members on, on insurance products and services. And I think, that's a, I think that's a good thing, but there's just a lot of work and effort into it because at the end of the day, uh, most associations cannot guarantee that their individual members may or uh, may or may not buy something that they endorse. So, uh, you know, how much the association is willing to invest in this will have a big influence on, on um, you know, what happens. So let me kind of uh, provide you with a, a, a summary and a conclusion here, and then we'll go into some Q and A's. Um, again, association health plans have become very complex due to 
federal and state regulations. And you can't you know, avoid these regulatory issues. You cannot play off of you know, the state versus the federal regulators like they were 40 years ago. That's just not, that's not gonna happen anymore. They've tightened things up. Uh, failure to follow those regulatory uh, issues uh, could result in serious fines and penalties to the carrier, to the association, and to the advisor. You, you as an advisor could have a real uh, E&O risk here that you need to be aware of, and whether or not your E&O coverage will will cover you for for that kind of liability, you need to check out uh, in, a, in in advance and, and and make sure you they they will. There are a lot of different, uh, many associations in operation. I used to tell people that, you know, while Washington DC has the most number of association headquarters in the DC area, the Chicago, interestingly enough, was the number two city with the most association headquarters. And guess what? Sacramento is number three. Um, so there are, there are literally hundreds, if not thousands of association uh, headquartered here in, in, in California, the bulk of which are in the Sacramento area. Some associations are managed internally and they have good professional staff while others might contract with external management firms. And when you look at an association, is it being run by some guy out of his basement or out of his uh, home office? Or is it, uh, you know, do they have an office? Do they have staff? Do they have people that are on the the payroll running the, the thing and are, is that internal or external you know service uh, the type of volunteers that lead an association should be considered as both pro and con um, and i could get into the politics of that some associations have and tell you that uh, the, the politics within an association can be a really challenging thing uh, association volunteer leaders are important and i and i believe they they have an important role to keep that association kind of on, on target to serve its members. But sometimes uh, there are some volunteers that uh, lead an association and, and they might try to lead them down the wrong path and, and uh, trying to put the expense and time together of, of putting an association insurance program together could be one of those uh, hazardous um, uh, actions. What kind of history does the association have? Have they been around a while? Uh, are they are they legitimate or, or do they really have a, a background that leads you to believe that they're a stable organization that that you could do business with? Uh, does the association operate on a shoestring or do they have money to invest in the development and the rollout of new member benefits? That is a very important deal. And if, if you sit down with association managers or uh, association uh, leaders and um, you present to them, this information about you know what what you can and can't do and are be very upfront with them. Uh, I I think they'll respect you for your professionalism, but being a straight shooter with them about what you can and can't do. Don't don't try to go in and say, hey, I I've got a I've got a way to get around this, or I've got something here that you know skirts uh, skirts the regulatory process because uh, from a legal perspective that can get everybody in trouble. So you got to be you got to be very careful there. Um, <clears throat> finding carriers who will work with an association is a very tough task. If you go to the average carrier, and 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 most will say, "I've heard it all before." What makes what makes this association different? Why why would I do business with them? What are they going to do for me as a carrier 
that, um, uh, you know, I can't do myself by just going out and spending money and marketing to small businesses or individuals myself. Why, what will the association bring me that, that uh, uh, I, I can't get myself? Uh, many carriers will tell you they've, they've not had a positive experience with prior associations. I, I, it's kind of tough to say, but um, believe me, uh, I can cite a number of carriers who'll say we won't, we won't touch associations anymore because we've had some really bad experiences with them and it's just not worth it. Um, and a carrier, uh, you know, if they, if they get together with an association and they're asked to, to develop special products, uh, they've got to go through a filing process with the regulators that can be very expensive and, and they're going to want to know if I'm going to spend, you know, fifty, sixty thousand dollars to file a, a new product with the California Department of Insurance to sell to these association members. What's my return on that? Am I going to am I going to make, you know, well more than that um, in, in profits off this deal? So, it, it, you know, dealing with an association is not for the faint of heart. Guys, it's hard work. It's uh, it can be very uh, difficult, and you know, never ever try to work with an association without having attained the full facts about the organization. That questionnaire that I showed you that that's the starting point. And if they're serious and they'll they'll complete that and they'll give you the answers, then you you probably have a good prospect. But if they're if they're kind of you know not sure about this, they'll they won't give you everything you need to know. And, and, um, and that's a, a good way to kind of, you know, clear this off. Much time is going to be spent in gathering member information and the association has to assist in this process. If all they, if all they hand you is a membership list or a computer disc with their membership list on it and say, go, go have at it, then hand it back to them and say, I'm sorry, but you're going to have to help us with this. This needs to come from you, the association, not from me, an insurance agent. And, and you're gonna need to uh, be involved with this or this is not gonna work. Uh, you need to sharpen your negotiation skills. The, the skills that you have negotiating with the association, with the carriers and other vendors that are involved in this because they're gonna look to you as the advisor to say, you know, how do we know that carrier XYZ is better than carrier ABC and, and why should we use this third party administrator versus this one? You know, you got to be able to negotiate good contracts for these people and, and help them uh, so that they can look at you and say, you've done your due diligence and, and uh, these are the recommendations you have. And then uh, again, in the end, I would, I would say, you know, consider charging a fee for consulting services. Say, if I'm going to spend this time and effort, um, then this is the fee I'm going to charge. And if you decide later that you don't want to do it, then you know, you're, you're going to pay me a fee whether you do it or not, but that's, that's the fair way to have it. And then you'll have that information. You can make the right decision if you want to carry on with me after that or not. But I, I would consider charging a fee for consulting services um, and, and, and make, that, make, make that an important uh, part of your presentation. Okay, so we come to the third and last polling question, and then we'll go into... Uh, Q and A's if we have any. Uh, as Natalie said, if you've got a question that you want answered, uh, put it, uh, enter that question in the um, the, the bottom uh, right hand corner there. And uh, and that would be uh, how do you rate today's topic and information? Is it a very helpful? B somewhat helpful? C a little help? Or D no help at all? We we'd like to know whether or not this is, has been helpful. 
So if you could let us know that. And then Natalie, do we have any uh, Q and A's that uh, uh, I need to deal with? We sure do. Okay. The first one is, does a guaranteed association differ from an insurance trust? For example, the North Bay Builders Exchange offers benefits. Mm -hmm. Well, uh, again, you, you, have, you have association health plans that are fully insured, and you have association health plans that are self-insured. Um, I, I don't know the specifics about the North Bay uh, uh, Builders Association. I know there are a number of builders associations throughout the, the state, and uh, many of them have negotiated a fully insured deal for their members. And I would say that the bulk of them are probably operating as a guaranteed association. And, and I'll just use two examples. Uh, you know, maybe they've gone out and they've negotiated a deal with Kaiser and, and say Blue Shield. And, and they're offering Kaiser and Blue Shield uh, fully insured small group products. So their members, their builders who are small employers can purchase those products through the association at, at whatever cost you know, that, that's going to be. So uh, that would be an example of probably, my guess is it's a guaranteed association. Now, if that association on the other hand is for large employers that have more than 100 uh, employees, um, then they could be uh, have a special benefit plan adopted for their members and their large employer members could uh, be in that plan. And that plan uh, in all likelihood is a fully insured uh, product, but it is for large employers, not for small employers. I hope that answers that question. <clears throat> Next question. Isn't there an exception for labor unions in California? Yeah, labor unions are not considered an association, okay? So, uh, uh, you know, the Taft-Hartley uh, law and labor unions, that's a totally separate topic. That's, that's not an association. And that's, that's true in any state, not just California. Okay. Could a new chamber sponsor or endorse non-health ancillary benefits? Yes, yes, I said that earlier, and that is, that is true. There are a number of business groups or the chambers of commerce uh, who can and do uh, endorse um, uh, non-health uh, insurance products and services, dental, vision, life, uh, disability, et cetera, as well as non-insurance products like um, uh, these new tele telemedicine uh, programs. Uh, yes, they are doing that and there's no prohibition against them doing that. That's correct. How do cooperatives differ from MEWAs or associations? Well, a, a cooperative is, is, as you know, cooperatives were kind of created back in the 90s. And then when the ACA came along, they were, you know, they changed their name to a marketplace. But, but there, are, there are cooperatives. A lot of the cooperatives that I've seen here in California are large group of business uh, cooperatives that negotiate in behalf of their members for large group products. However, that being said, uh, you, could, um, you could have a cooperative, a business cooperative formed, and if their members are small employers, then they, the cooperative could offer their members uh, um, a small employer product, but they're not going to be able to negotiate um, uh, a small employer product that costs anything more or less 
than what they would buy on the street. Now, before the ACA, some of you might remember that we used to have what was called risk adjustment factors. Remember, and uh, you, you would buy a small group product and you could have a risk adjustments factor of 0.9 to 1.1. And some associations were going in and saying, uh, we are a guaranteed association and we've negotiated a risk adjustment factor of 0.95 to our members. So if you join the association, you'll get your uh, insurance coverage for 5% uh, less than what you might pay on the street uh, as a small employer. Well, the ACA changed all that. They did away with risk adjustment factors so that you know the rates you have for small employers today are the rates you have, the posted rates. And um, if you're an association and you're endorsing a, a particular carrier and you're, and you're not a guaranteed associate, well, even if you are a guaranteed association, other than grandfathered plans, the, the plans that you endorse will be the same plans that they would buy on the street. So a business cooperative is, is you know, you could consider a chamber to be a kind of a cooperative, um, you know, California Choice and, and Covered California Small Business are both considered, you know, they were both considered to be cooperatives uh, of, of some sort. Now they really kind of refer to themselves more as exchanges. And so that's, that's the more modern term. Next question. How do cooperative, um, actually, you know, we did that one. Do you think internal or external management of an association is preferable? Um, I think if you're a small association, it's pretty expensive to have your own in-house staff on the payroll. And I've worked with both. Uh, I would say that the average smaller association uh, with a budget of say less than maybe a, 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 you know $500,000 a year probably does better to contract with a with a uh, association management company whereas larger associations that have budgets of say 500,000 maybe a million dollars or more um, you know they they probably are more inclined to you know have uh, internal uh, employees uh, managing the, uh, the association um, it really depends on the finances of the association where that money comes from. You know, if they're if they're if 90% of their money is from member dues and their member dues are only uh, you know generating a half million dollars a year, well, you know, when you when you look at the, the cost of maintaining an office and and employees that may or may not be full time or part time. Um, it might make more sense for them to contract with an outside association management firms. And there are, there are literally hundreds of those firms, uh, you know, throughout the country. So it just depends on your size and your, and your, your income. I'm not sure that internal versus external management is, you know, better or worse than, you know, e each other. Um, because, you know, if you've got a management firm that you're bringing in as the association, they're not doing the job, then you fire them and you hire a new management firm. Um, whereas if you've got employees that are on the payroll, it's a lot harder to fire employees here in California, especially. So, uh, you know, it, it, it could really weight a little bit more heavy on the association's ability to free itself of, of non-productive employees. Next question. Da -da -da. I may, 
I may have asked this question incorrectly, but labor union trusts that covers both large and small employers are exempt from all plan letters. Is that correct? That's correct. And then the second to last question is, which carrier is the most association friendly? <laughs> I don't, I'm not sure I want to answer that. <laughs> I, I, you know, it, it, it just depends on who's in charge and what their experience has been. I mean, you know, 10, uh, 20 years ago, there were a handful of good companies out there that, that I thought, you know, would really be good partners for an association. Uh, but a lot of that changed with the uh, the ACA. Um, you know, uh, the question is, you know, do you want some small insurance company or some small health plan that nobody has heard of uh, that you're endorsing, or do you want one that's a big name, you know, deal? And you know, there's there's pros and cons of working with big insurance companies versus small ones. Um, you know, and they're and they're each very very different. I it's hard for me to point a finger and say, well, if I were going to do business uh, with an insurance company for an association, I would, I would point at these guys because that's, that's a moving target. It's, it's really changed a lot over the last uh, few years. Um, I, I would say that the majority of carriers out there are not uh, big on uh, state or local insurance programs for, for members. Um, but if you're up here in the Sacramento area and a local health plan would like to be endorsed by a local chamber of commerce or something, and some and several have done, uh, that can be that can be a really good thing too. So it really really depends on where you're at and what your membership looks like. Okay, and that's kind of my way to avoid directly answering that question. <laughs> Last question. The last question is, what are the characteristics of an association that may be good candidate for offering insurance products? I, I think I think the size of the association is a general rule. It, do, do they have, well, okay, I, I would divide associations into two distinct categories. There are business and trade associations, which are generally made up of companies that have employees or there are professional associations that are made up of individuals. Uh, I have found, my experience has been, is that working with business and trade associations, you know, the, the plumbers or the auto uh, dealers or the, um, um, you know, et cetera, uh, made up of, you know, small employers, uh, they, they tend to be, they tend to be good prospects under certain conditions. Whereas professional associations, um, you know, have a great need to provide benefits for their members. And as you can see here, um, there are a number of professional associations that have put together member benefit plans. And uh, in fact, some of them exist here in California as guaranteed associations under the old grandfathered guaranteed association law. And those are made up of, of individuals. But um, you know, I, I tend to think that business and trade associations are better prospects because they have better numbers, but they also can be um, a little bit more to uh, to deal with sometimes because, you know, if you've got a thousand small employer members, you've got a thousand small employers that, you know, could go say and do anything they want. 
Uh, some associations, uh, professional associations, try to build insurance benefits and stuff into their dues structure. That can be a good way to do things, but I, I, I don't see that as as popular as it used to be. Okay. And if you've got some other things that you want to uh, deal with me on, feel free to feel free to. Um, oh well, I need to move my slide to that last slide there. Hold on. Feel free to to get hold of me, and uh, we're, I'm happy to take your call and, and chat with you. A little busy right now, but um, if you've got a, a question, uh, maybe after the first year, give me a call and happy to chat with you. All right, Natalie. Anything else? Yes, um, a couple, oh. few last words. I, I do want to let everyone know that all attendees will receive a copy of the slide presentation as well as a recording and a thank you email from me. And of course, if you had any issues submitting your poll responses, that right there is my email address. Please email me um, today as we are going to be wrapping everything up and submitting the submitting all of this to the California Department of Insurance by this evening. So it is imperative that if you need my assistance to get your answers and please go ahead and contact me. The ones that did contact me, I'll definitely get in touch with you. And of course, um, that being said, Dave, I wanna thank you for an amazing year of courses and CE courses. And of course, just spreading the information that you have, which is always super helpful. And of course, everyone, thank you so much for coming back to us over and over again. And we hope to see you again in 2023. Dave, your last words? All right, listen, uh, have a happy holiday season, everyone. And uh, we'll see you next year. Take care. I guess he said it great best. Have a happy holiday season, everyone, and see you in 2023. Bye. Bye-bye.